Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 76 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Today, I have the honor of having two guests on the show. I have Kim and Craig, TJ's mom and brother. Craig contacted me about a month and a half ago for the first time. He also has a podcast called The Bad Roman that really explores the entanglement of Christians and the state and the fact that sometimes people need to choose between being a good citizen of the state and a good Christian. Anyway, he contacted me after the death of his brother TJ. TJ died after a long battle of mental illness and alcoholism. Today, TJ's mom and brother come on to talk about TJ's life, his struggles, and especially his struggles during the pandemic and all of the isolation that really served to make his depression and anxiety even worse. to thank both of my guests that I have on today. I have two guests. So I have Craig and Kim. And Craig is TJ's brother and Kim is TJ's mom. And so we're going to get to hear about TJ today and all about him and his life and what it's been like after losing TJ. So whoever wants to start, you can just kind of go ahead. Well, I've got 36 years of memories, just like you do. But like I told you earlier, I had gone through some photo albums yesterday. I didn't start out to do that, but I was doing some cleaning and pulled some photo albums down to clean around them and stuff. Well, that started me down that rabbit hole, and I went through all of these photo albums. We have pictures of his birth. His dad Mm -hmm. took pictures of his birth, and when I came up on those and just followed through so many years of what a delightful child he was. He was too smart for his own good in a lot of ways. He was just so, he never did fit in. He never did fit in with much of anything, but he kept on going and he dealt with a lot of bullying throughout his life. And I went to bat for him so many times. What was he like as a kid? He was very smart. He was always very, it seemed like ahead of where he should have been and would just blow me away with some of the things that he said. But he also, I believe, had um, the older he got and even as a child, and we didn't know anything about Asperger's back then. I learned about it after he was an adult, which what are you going to say to a grown man who has depression issues and problems and stuff anyway about I think this is what you got he like Craig always said he was born without a filter yeah he never meant to be rude 
he just said whatever. He said whatever popped in his head. And he was very matter of fact. I spent a lot of time explaining him to people. <laughs> even though I <laughs> quite understand him. I understand that. I always, it was like people, I finally got to where I didn't so much yeah. because I got tired of it. I got tired of saying he didn't mean that. He didn't mean to be so blunt as a child, even as a child. The pictures that I look back through and so many pictures of him and Craig and Cade, he's leaning on one of them all the time. Mm-hmm. He was always leaning on one of his brothers. What number was he in the order of kids? It was he was the baby. Oh, he was number three. Okay. He was, he was the, the baby. Craig was nine when he was born and Cade was six when he was born. And, and TJ had a different daddy. I remember TJ, we grew up in West Texas. So mom was trying to move us to Fort Worth <laughs> and I was uh. not moving to, I was not moving from West Texas. I was being pretty stubborn about it. And we were at my grandparents' house at the time and I was calling my dad, I want you to come pick me up. I'm going to come live with you. I'm not leaving West Texas. And mom was not very happy with me that day. <laughs> All of our stuff was loaded up, ready to leave. And I was sitting there in the living room and TJ walked around the corner. He was a kid. I saw him and I was like, I can't leave him, you know? So mm-hmm. TJ kept me from leaving everybody else. And I don't know, I, always, I was telling Kate the other day, I always felt like it was my responsibility to protect them as the mm-hmm. older brother. And I feel like I've let them down too, with all this too, but. No, Craig had to grow up too fast and he was always more serious and would not give up until he heard the truth about something. And he was, he always has been not only my son, but he's my, he's one of my best friends and he's always been there for me. And we've all, we all kind of shook our head a whole lot (laughs) about TJ because it was like, dude, (laughs) where are you? It seemed like he was always somewhere else. He was always like in another world in so many ways. When you were talking about him not having a filter and that is so true about TJ because you know, she mentioned him not having the same father as me and Kate, but when I would introduce TJ to people, they were surprised that we were related because we were, we're not, we were nothing alike at all mm-hmm. in so many different ways. But, but there was one thing about TJ and I don't know if he had this as a child or not, but TJ always had an ear for music. He would make us CDs for Christmas with whatever kind of music we listened to. And it was always interesting how he picked these songs out. They were always very specific and he was really good at it. And I was always really jealous of him, how he could do something like that because TJ didn't just stick to one type of music, but like mom said, he didn't have a filter. If he heard a song that we were listening to <laughs> that he didn't, he didn't care for. He said, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and he, that they, was one of the first things he ever said to my husband and Carolyn, I've been married almost 14 years. And I told him the very first time we went out, he, I told Craig, I said, this, the only reason there was a second date with Farrell is because when he walked in my house to pick me up for that day, first thing he wanted to do, he said, let me see pictures of your boys. Cause I had, you know, talked about them so much and how tight we all were and everything. And I shut, took him in and showed him the pictures I had of all the boys. And I said, and this one is gonna be the most difficult mm-hmm. for you to get to know. And I said, he's been abandoned by every man that's ever been in his life. And he doesn't trust a whole lot of people. And one of the first things, it, it really made Pharrell mad at the first time. 
happened, he said that he and TJ were talking about music and, and uh, TJ just looked at him and said, your music sucks. <laughs> and of course, Farrell was like, took it personal. <laughs> and I told him, I said, you cannot do that. He you told me, Farrell said, he goes, man, I just don't know how to figure TJ out. I said, TJ's TJ. <laughs> just TJ's yeah, TJ. Don't even man. try. Don't even try. But he was so smart. He was super smart. He had a teacher in school when he was, when we moved here, he was in the third grade and I went for a parent teacher conference and she told me that she had to, she said, I keep him up in the front of the class, not because he ever gets in trouble, but because I like to watch him. And she said, and he always gets through with everything faster. You know, he, he gets through and he does it perfect. And that's when we decided, you know, we have to give him extra stuff to do while the rest of the class is still doing their work to keep his mind, because his mind was just, I, I never could delve completely into his mind. I have a hard time remembering him as a child for some reason, but that one, one of the story I was telling about being at our grandparents and moving before moving to Fort Worth, that story is in my head constantly with TJ, but I don't remember if he if he talked all the time as a child, but he sure did as an adult. I mean, when he I would did. come, did he? Yeah, because he would, I would have to, he and I took a lot of trips, just he and I, you know, when we lived in Fort Worth, I'd go back to San Angelo to see my Nana and Granddaddy. And as a kid, I remember I took a different route one time and we were having to travel through Dallas, which I wasn't used to. And the traffic was horrible. And he hadn't shut up since we had left San Angelo. I mean, he talked, talk, 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 and he was just, and I let him, but I had gotten into that traffic. And I finally said, honey, you're going to have to stop talking for a little bit until <laughs> I get through this traffic. It was hard for him. He sat there, you know, with his hands folded in his lap. And whenever I finally started moving faster, the vehicle started moving faster. He's like, can I talk again? <laughs> <laughs> and he did <laughs> the rest of the way back to Arkansas. He was just, he did that. And he, then you felt did. like, I probably shouldn't do that again because that was really difficult for him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, was. it was hard for him. I should have just let him keep talking because it, it didn't change the stress of going through the <laughs> traffic, but he would either be silent so much that you would just, you know, go what you're thinking about and then he'd start telling you what he was thinking about and he, he wouldn't hush and so much of it was things that I could not comprehend he was like on another plane so much of the time that he tried to get me into his video games with him and I was horrible at it he'd finally get frustrated and say never mind mom you know but he was a happy kid well, that's a blessing, especially when with the Asperger syndrome, it can be a little bit challenging because friendships are really hard. So if if you get your internal happiness, then you're okay. But if you you know need something, and from the outside, you might not think that he would be as happy as he was. But right. you know, one thing that I that I was surprised by after TJ passed away because. I always had this image of him as just being a loner, you know, like spent a lot of time by himself, but I did not know how many friends he had. He had friends wow. all over Fayetteville and it was just amazing to me how many people reached out and, you know, or tell stories about him. And I would just, it just shocked me. I mean, that he had so many friends, but 
TJ always talked about his coworkers because he was always pissed off at his coworkers about something when I pick him up. And <laughs> but he never talked about his friends a whole lot unless it was his buddy Johnny, you know, that spent a lot of time with him. That was really cool to find out that he had so many friends. That is really yeah. cool. I was always happy to hear it whenever I would talk to him and he'd say they'd been to a movie or something. And one of his coworkers called me after he found out about him and I'd never met the guy still, but he said, we used to all after work because they'd work, you know, at a pizza pie place and they would go after closing and all pile in a car and either go to a movie or go to Walmart for their groceries or, you know, late at night and stuff. And he didn't talk about, it. you know, it was like he knew he had those friends, so he didn't really feel mm-hmm. it was none of our business. <laughs> That's right. Well, I guess it wasn't really. Well, I guess it wasn't. <laughs> And that's the way TJ was, though. I mean, he he told you what he thought you needed to know. (laughs) Right, right. So why don't you go into now talking about this past year and kind of what that's been like? When he became a teenager, I I know I'm I'm going back again, but... Oh, that's okay. He was having lots of... First time I ever saw him have an anxiety attack, I thought he was dying. Mm Mm-hmm. He was probably maybe Andy's age about then, probably 14 or 15. And I loaded him up. We're going to the hospital. I didn't know he was squat as a sheet. He was just shaking. He was sweating. He was, you know, and I'm like, what is going on? And then I started learning about panic attacks and anxiety. And he threw me under the bus a couple of times at a doctor's office because he would be sitting there talking. And I was like, he started talking about this tick that he had had all these years. And I looked at him and the doctor looked at me and the doctor is a whole nother story. I ended up writing her a really nasty letter after that visit because she looked at me like, and TJ looked at me, he said, I told you about that. And I was like, no, no, you didn't. And after that visit, well, she got on to me. She told me that I was talking for him too much that he was too old for me to be talking for him. And I'm like, you don't know him like I do. Yeah. I know the reason I'm sitting in here right now is because I know I won't get the full story from him. Mm-hmm. To watch all this talked about. She ended up putting him on some medication and he was a different person. He was happy again. You know, he was TJ again. And then, of course, he gets out on his own. And after years, he told me that I didn't even know he'd done this, but he said he quit taking this medication. He said it got to where I just didn't feel anything and I don't, I didn't want to take it anymore. Oh. So he quit taking it and he dealt with depression, anxiety, and it got worse and worse. And he started using alcohol to numb it. Mm-hmm. And he was in and out of the hospital. I don't know how many times over the years, and it was all because of alcohol. And he knew he'd been told so many times that he was going to kill himself with this alcohol if he didn't stop. And I had I tried everything, tough love. I tried begging. I tried pleading. I tried, let's get you in some treatment. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, I have a life. I have to work. I can't go into treatment. And I'm like, you're not going to have anything if you don't get something done about this and when this pandemic hit I knew that he was scared but I didn't it was a shock to me as to how scared he truly was of this stuff and I kept Mm -hmm. talking to him about 
after they started soft openings again at his place where he worked, called him back to work and they turned him down. And I'm like, you do understand that your unemployment is going to stop if you turn them down going back to work. And he was like, there's going to be a second wave. And I just, this, he said, this is a death sentence for me. This virus is a death sentence for me. And it turns out he was right because what he did was self-isolate and get more and more and more scared of the thing. And he had all that opportunity 24-7 to drink. So it ended up being a death sentence for him. But what he meant, I think, was that he didn't want to, he was too afraid to get the virus, that the virus would be a death sentence. Yeah, like if he, he was got it. Or... He was, he had destroyed his body so bad over the yeah. years with alcohol and his immune system was very compromised. Okay. And so he also would never admit though that the alcohol was causing all of his ailments. He would never do that. He, he, it was like, I've got this. I was born with this. And I'm like, honey, I was there. You weren't born with any of that. Mm-hmm. You are killing your body with yeah. the alcohol. And he told me, you know, this, this the virus is a, it's a death sentence for me. And then it was, even though he didn't ever get COVID. There are other ways that it is a death sentence for people, and I know that's what happened to him. I think he had been able to go back to work. If he had felt comfortable going back to work, he would have been around people, for one thing. He would have had purpose, and he always, you know, he always worked. He always had a job, and when, when he worked, he worked hard. But he didn't just drink a few drinks at night. He, he drank a lot, and it did kill him. The last hospital stay, I was in November or September of 2019, and it was horrible. He he doesn't he didn't remember any of it. He was in another universe. He was in another state. They were giving him morphine for the pain. At the same time, you know, he was always detoxing anytime he ended up in the hospital, because he would go for days being so sick and finally call an ambulance and. Mm-hmm. He was abusive to me. He was abusive to the hospital staff. He was out of control. And when they finally, they needed to do tests because he was bleeding internally and they didn't know what was going on. So they had to do the upper GI and the colonoscopy and that kind of thing. But, you know, there are preps for that. And I I had to stand and just make him drink the prep for the colonoscopy. And he, he was so mad at me. I mean, he even punched me at one point because he got so mad at me. And I told him on the way home from that, he was in ICU for a week that time. And I told him, I said, I can't do this again. Uh I just, I cannot do this. I said, I know you don't remember what has just happened over the last week, but I do. And if this was the first time this had ever happened, it'd be one thing, but it's not. Yeah. And of course, then I'm guilty. I feel guilty for saying I can't do this again because he wouldn't have called me yeah, it's... to come and help and he wouldn't have called an ambulance to come and help because he was afraid of going to the hospital because of COVID. Craig, what do you want to add to this too? Well, I remember the, when she, the, the hospital say she was just talking about and I called her to check in on him and she asked me if I wanted to talk to him. I said, sure, I'll talk to him. And he got on the phone and we didn't say a word. We just cried. 
And I thought for sure he was done. That he, this yeah. is it. And I didn't know at the time that that was the fourth time he'd been in the hospital for it. I thought it was maybe the second time. But there was one time that mom found out about that a friend had taken him to the hospital, you know, and it all got very secretive, I think, or he tried to keep it a secret, but we knew, we knew what he was mm -hmm. doing. I mean, when I'd come into town and go pick him up, I could smell it. And I'd gotten to a point with TJ that I was not going to argue with him about it anymore. It wasn't mm -hmm. working because I just figured I was going to talk to him about what he wanted to talk about. But, you know, going in, when all the COVID stuff started, there was a lot of things that were starting to slowly come out about people in isolation and suicide rates were spiking, alcohol sales were up 300%. And there was a story that I read on Facebook. It was a, a guy that her, his mom, I think, was telling the story they wanted to go see him, but he wouldn't see him because he was scared of the virus. And he was isolating, self-isolating, he ended up killing himself. And I shared this story on Facebook and mom commented, she goes, check on your brother. Because so mom knew then, I hadn't really put two and two together at the time, but so I called TJ and we had a conversation. We talked, it was a cool conversation. You know, he seemed like everything was fine, but towards the end of that conversation, we started arguing again. Cause I told him, I said, you've got to get out of that apartment, man. I said, this isn't healthy. He said, mm -hmm. we've got to take this serious. So we've got to, I said, you can take it seriously. I said, but you cannot stay cooped up in there. That's not going to help things. Get out yeah. and get some sun, sunlight, go socialize with people, or, you know, even if it means wearing your mask and social distance, whatever, but you've got to get out of that apartment. And he wasn't having, he was terrified of this virus. Yeah. And to the point that he would not leave. I mean, like, I think we heard stories with visitors come seeing him. He would stand at the bottom of his stairs, make sure that people were not <laughs> within That's six so feet of him. And he was screaming at people that would walk by without a mask on and this and that. And I mean, it really got in his head. And I blame yeah. a lot of the fear on what happened to TJ. I know it was the alcohol, but I don't think that the fear was that was perpetuated was necessary. And I think it, it really was the end. I think I told you in our initial email, I said it was a recipe for disaster for TJ. Yeah. I appreciated that email so much because I know just in my work, I've been in my practice now for 16 years. So I have a lot of teens and I have never ever seen levels of anxiety and depression like I do now. I feel like that is my primary job right now is mental health. I have had a handful that have had suicide attempts. Thank God no one has been successful so far of my teens. But it really scares me seeing all of this because it's just so, so detrimental. And I think it's just starting to come out now a little more in the media about the mental health toll that this is taking. But for the longest time, nobody really talked about it. And I felt like it was, it was just making me more and more upset to see so much anxiousness and depression and all of this happening. We are social creatures. And when you take that away, it's just not natural. And it's just not good for anyone to completely isolate like that. No, and especially somebody who's already dealing with mental issues and TJ mm -hmm. had mental issues, he did. I think he stopped developing emotionally in so many ways at about 15 years old. Because talking to him, even at 36 years old, was a lot of times it'd, it'd be like, yeah. you know, it was just like talking to a teenager. 
And that's how he would respond to me whenever I tried to talk to him about what he was doing to himself. He had black eyes and he could bore a <laughs> hole through you with those eyes. And that's what he would do. He would just bore a hole through me. And we had so many stare downs. I mean, so many stare downs. I'm, I'm like, dude, I've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you're not going to win. <laughs> so stop. But not being able to talk to him as an adult mm -hmm. and get him to, you know, and I know that's part of Asperger's too. I think there's a stunted, from what I've studied, you know, and I don't I know, you know, a whole lot more about it, but that just seems to be one of the things that I've gleaned from the things I've studied is, and then in, uh, he'd turn around and say something so smart and so bright <laughs> that it would just be like, well, I think that's why the Asperger's can fool you a little bit, right? Because they oh, seem so together and so brilliant in so yeah. many ways yes. that you certainly don't, it doesn't seem like you would have to worry about them mm -hmm. in that way, right? Because he was so, right. so smart. There's no way right. he could let something like this happen to him because he's just too smart for that. That's what I would but, say to him. I'd be like, you're too smart to be letting this happen to yourself. You're too scared. And he'd bristle up at me. So I didn't know a whole lot about Asperger's until well, actually we started talking about doing this show. I mean, other than mom had been talking about it, but I just didn't, I was like, no, because I was like, I'm just going to beat this into TJ's head and he's going to listen to what I have to say because I have, I have it all figured out. And uh -huh. he didn't approach <laughs> TJ that way. No. But I did kind of start reading a little bit about Asperger's, you know, here about a month or so ago. And it describes TJ to a T, especially with the work aspect of it. I worked with TJ. I, I would take on some part-time jobs from time to time. And I worked with TJ for a while at a restaurant and TJ worked. I mean, when he was working, he worked and he did not mind working a bunch of hours. But once he got upset with somebody, he was done and he would quit. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that said about Asperger's. I mean, they, they would get mad <laughs> at people and he would quit his job. Then he'd be out of work. He got find another job, and he just. But he would do that with every job he was at, even if he was making decent money. He didn't care. He was not going to tolerate anything from anybody because he knows he knew it all, or mm -hmm. he thought he did, you know. And so it was interesting to watch. But I was always really hard on him about it because you know, mom did spend a lot more than I did, but I'm helping him pay rent or whatever because he was out of work with us after the pandemic and stuff. And I'm like, dude, you got to go. There's there's places hiring. They're needing help because people aren't working. I said, there's places. Well, I'll look into. It. I said, no, just do it. Don't look yeah. into it, just do it. And that was, I think that was our last uh, conversation through text until his, till my birthday in May and he missed it. And he, he said, man, I feel like crap. He said, but I have no excuses, but happy happy late birthday or something. I still have it on my phone, but that was the actual, actually the last conversation I think I had with him was that, that text last May. And cause it's so one thing about our family, we're all super close but we don't have to have a conversation every day to prove that we're super close. I mean, we'll go there weeks is. from. I went weeks without talking to him lots of times. And that, of course, right now, you know, it had been a month since I had had any communication with him before I found him. And the last communication was me fussing at him about getting out of that apartment. And they, you know, trying to convince him that they everybody's got the safety protocols in place. Yeah, they're not going to bring you back to work if it's not safe. And they're all doing it. They're all doing what needs to be done uh -huh. to get business going again. 
there was no convincing him. He was just just too terrified at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I think his friend Johnny probably knew him better than we did in so many ways because they spent a lot of time together and TJ had talked to him about things, which is the case so many with so many of us, you know, we'll talk mm -hmm. to friends before we do family a lot of times, but he tried, Johnny tried to, to, you know, get him to take care of better care of himself. He's got to do this. He was always trying to encourage him to do better. I, my hat is off to Johnny for standing by him the way he did, because he didn't have any other friends like that. Well, Johnny had texted me the other day and it, he called me first and I was, you know, I sleep during the day because I work overnight, but he, and I, and I've got this text when I woke up and he's, it's always the same. He goes, I couldn't save him. And I told him, I was like, dude, we're doing enough. We're beating ourselves up enough with this. <laughs> we're all mm -hmm. got enough guilt. I said, you've it got to stop been... beating yourself up too. I said, because I, none of us could save him. Mm -hmm. My own mom couldn't save him. He was going to do what he was going to do. And that's why I said earlier, that I said, I got to a point to where I was just going to talk to TJ about what he wanted to talk about. I wasn't going to fuss at him or argue with him anymore because it wasn't. Because I moved to Memphis. I didn't get to see him like I did when I lived there around him. But when I came in, I didn't want to spend, you know, the 20 or 30 minutes driving out to mom's arguing with him about <laughs> why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you? Because it wasn't fruitful, you know. And I've even told, I told friends, and this is way back before TJ died, I would have conversations about TJ. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what are you going to do about it? I said, what am I going to do about it? He's a grown man. Right. What am I, I mean, I can't tie him up and tell him to stop drinking. I said, he's, I think he's killing himself, but what am I supposed to do about it? We tried to get him to come out here and stay for a while, you know, just get on your feet and we'll get you, but he didn't want to because he would, he wouldn't be able to hide the drinking when he was out here and I wouldn't have tolerated it, not to that level. And he knew that. He had all the opportunities a person could have to still be here with us, but he didn't have the ability to deal with life the way that we do. And you know, that alcohol just has such a, can have such a hold on people too. I know uh, my foster son still lives here. He's, he's from Guatemala and he came to this country several years ago now and his family still lived in Guatemala and his mom was an alcoholic before he even left. I mean, he was in a horrible home situation where he was beaten and it was terrible. Right. And so he fled his homeland yet. He still felt this tremendous guilt all the time trying to cure her, his mother of her alcoholism. And she would go down and get really bad and be really sick and all of this stuff. And then she would promise this is it. I'm done drinking. I'm going to take care of the girls. The, I'm going to turn things around. She'd move out because her husband, his dad, is also a horrible alcoholic. Valeriano, my son, would just be like, okay, this is it. She's going to do it this time. And I would try to explain to him that, that she is really, truly just addicted to this alcohol. And there was nothing that he was going to be able to do to change that. But yet you just feel this guilt. Like if I could just, there's something, there's got to be something I can do that can fix it. And she ended up the same thing really happening. She really drank herself to death the day after Thanksgiving this past year. And that, and he felt just this tremendous guilt that I kind of sense in, in the two of you. And I would encourage you like last week I did an episode with Gwen on grief and guilt. And it was 
amazing. I actually just so finished good. listening to that. Did you listen to that? Yeah. And the big takeaway I really had was we end up feeling guilt when instead we should be feeling powerlessness, but it's easier to feel guilt than to acknowledge the fact that you're completely powerless. And that was a big revelation to me. I really had no power because you want to feel like you have power. You want to feel like you have a little bit of influence, like I've got some power here. I'm TJ's mom. I'm TJ's brother. I should be able to do something or say something that will change things. But in all actuality, you just didn't. You didn't have that kind of power Mm -hmm. because the alcohol was a huge power over him. The depression was a huge power over him. Living in this pandemic and having this tremendous fear was a huge power over him. I noticed one thing with all of that with TJ, one thing I was always had a hard time understanding was alcoholism or even depression. And it's something that I've I've come to grips with or tried to learn more about since TJ passed away because it just didn't make any sense to me. I always viewed it as somebody they just couldn't control themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's not that it's. You know, and TJ's dad was an alcoholic. He died the same way. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe it is a disease, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, so. <laughs> I, I mean, it's not something he would have chosen, right? No. He wouldn't have chosen to live like that. Well, I was going to say that earlier, too. I don't th- I think if TJ knew that he was killing himself, he wouldn't have done it. No. Because he was happy. I mean, TJ was, every time I'd pick him up, he was happy. He was always, like we were talking earlier, he was just a chatterbox. He would talk the whole way out to bombs about things I didn't know what he was talking about, you know, about his video games or whatever. But he was always happy. But I think the self-isolation that, that could tend to make somebody depressed, I guess. I mean, you said earlier, we're social creatures. We need that interaction with people. And mm-hmm. I mean, I like sitting at home sometimes, too. It's <laughs> Sometimes, but not all the time, right? Right. Not all the time. And him getting up and going to work and doing things would force him to have solid periods of time where he'd be sober, too. Right. when When you don't have anything else to do, which honestly, like I think about my foster son's family, so many of them in Guatemala are horrible alcoholics. When you don't have things to do, then you end up, I think, falling in these traps and having things like alcohol seem like a good idea and a good way to solve these problems that you have, or at least I think make you forget about them for a little while. So it seems like a good choice. Well, it's like mom said earlier, he used it to, that's what he would numb his pain with. You know, he dealt with physical and, and mental pain that that and it numbed it for him you know and then he even tried to smoke marijuana at one time and i didn't know this but mom said it made him so anxious he could not he could not tolerate that either so it was the alcohol was the go-to and alcohol's if you abuse it it's it's a it's a it's it's pretty ugly you know he did more than just abuse it it was it was pretty bad he had gotten in such bad health that his teeth had all pretty much rotted out, and I was able to come up with the money just last January to get his teeth all pulled and get him some dentures, And because I, I was always trying to help him with his self-esteem, mm-hmm. and I knew that that's a big thing, you know, it would, you could tell that it bothered him, that his teeth were, because he said people, you know, assumed he was like a meth addict or something like that, but it was just poor health. And mm-hmm. so much of what he had done to his body, but 
we did that. We got that done. And he was, his landlady had told me after she called me after he died, she said he was in here just the other day and, and grinning at me real big and said, look at my new teeth. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, he didn't even get to enjoy them for very long. Mm-hmm. But it was like I was always trying to put band-aids on stuff. Well, this this will help him. You know, this will help him feel better about himself. Mm-hmm. And, it, and he won't drink so much. You know, you can't. I've, I've dealt with alcoholics before. His dad died the exact same way. Yeah. It's 54 years old. And he's got that on both sides of his family. You know, it, and it is a genetic thing in a lot of ways. You had depression and anxiety and the lack of self-esteem. And, and he was so cool. I could never get him to understand how cool he was. Where people would tease about him and stuff. I'm like, I love your quirkiness. I love your, your different personality. And he was different. And I always just thought he was so cool. And I told him that a lot. I, do, I don't have guilt about that because I told him so much over his life is like you're just so special you're, you really are and I've, I've done a whole lot of reading and studying about alcoholism since he died and what it does to a person the frontal lobe and yeah I, I saw that so much in his last years you just end up not being the same person that he you wasn't were before. The same person. He was, I didn't know him anymore. And that's so hard. That was my kid. Yeah. So uh, he died at the end of July this past year. Talk about the time since then and kind of your grief journey a little bit. It seems like so much of it is a fog right now. You know, yeah. I think you know what I mean about just getting through one minute at a time. And I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know how I was going to handle this. I didn't, I want to make sure Craig and Cave are okay. And I've started a, a journal. Uh-huh. It's strictly notes to TJ. It's, it, was, it was actually a notebook that we found in his apartment that had never been used. And so those are my, I write when I'm happy, when I'm angry, when I'm sad, when I'm, you know, and I remember things that has helped me so much to feel like I'm talking to him. And I talk to Ern all the time. (laughs) I go in there and I'm just like, you know, I was going through his things, had brought it all in and just put it down on the floor there in front of the bureau where his, his urn sets. And I had this niggling little thing in the back of my head of him saying, what are you doing going through my stuff? And it was, it just kept popping in my head. I turned around and looked at the urn and I said, you left me (laughs) to do this. So, you know, get over it. (laughs) Because he he was very private about his stuff. You know, he wanted to, Mm -hmm. when he was alive, he didn't, he didn't want me in his apartment. He didn't want me invading the space and everything. But I think a lot of that was just, he didn't want me to see so much of how he was living and but that just being just talking to him like he's still here because he is I know he is yeah I think that is beautiful to be able to do mm-hmm. to be he able is, to just do that so many messages I, I had never seen 
I think I told you this in an email that we were inundated with dragonflies. Uh-huh. And they had started showing up, you know, he was, TJ had been gone for six days when I found him. And uh. there were days after I thought about it later, there were days leading up to the day that I found him that I'd started seeing these dragonflies around and we'd never you know, there's a little pond a little ways down in the woods from us, but I'd never really paid attention to them or seen them. And we didn't just have a few. They were mm -hmm. everywhere. They were just everywhere. And I started looking up the meaning of uh, spiritual meanings of dragonflies. And it was him, you know, he mm -hmm. was that and butterflies. Craig can tell you the story about the yellow butterfly thing, but a friend of mine on Facebook, she's, I guess, I call her professional photographer, but she calls herself amateur, but she takes some of the most beautiful pictures I've ever seen. And she posted this picture of a yellow butterfly on Facebook. And she shared it in the time before we knew TJ had passed away, but he had already passed away. Mm -hmm. So this butterfly, and I just remember looking at this butterfly, I was like, man, this is just one of the prettiest pictures I've ever seen. It was beautiful. And after TJ passed away, there was a story that came out about TJ that after, after our grandmother passed away, he was just really focused on this yellow butterfly after Nana's funeral. And I didn't know this story. Okay. And I heard it, I guess it was Uncle Brent had told mom about it. And I remember reading this comment. And so I went back to this yellow butterfly that was posted during the time that TJ was, had passed. Like we didn't know he'd passed away, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I sent my friend a message and told her, you know, I said, you don't understand what that picture means to us now. Yeah. That day at, at Nana's service, we had, all, you know, gone for the reception <laughs> afterwards. And one of my dad's cousins, they were, they were old cowboys that grew up on ranches and stuff. And Jean was tough as a boot. But TJ told the story of seeing this old cowboy bend down and pick up this butterfly because it was injured. He, he said this old grizzled cowboy picked up this butterfly and just scooped it up gently into his hands to hold it for a little while. And that's when TJ had gotten a picture of it. And he was so intrigued by that tender wow. moment, you know, and those are the things that he loved for him to be sending all those dragonflies to us. A friend came to see me. TJ passed in August and she had come out in October to spend the afternoon with me. And while we were sitting on the back deck in the field behind us, there were just, they were everywhere. They just showed up. She texted me after she got home and she's got a real long driveway up a, a hill and, you know, way up. But she said when she turned onto her driveway, the field that was there, she said, I've never seen one dragonfly let alone the swarms of them that were there whenever I turned into my driveway. And that was the day she, you know, she'd been out here to visit me and TJ loved her. She was, she was one of his special. And I said, well, he's happy that we got together today. I had a hoot owl talk to me on Christmas day. I'd been just, you know, dreading Christmas, really, really, really dreading Christmas. And I walked outside to go out to the shop. I just, I heard this woohoo. And I stopped and looked that direction and he talked to me again. And I went on in the shop and when I came back out, he was hooting at me again. And I was like, thank you. I know that was you. Mm -hmm. And I've got Jasmine growing on the vine 
on the lattice thing at the end of the house. And I kept seeing going past it, I'd walk past and I was getting this glimpse of this yellow in the corner of my eye. And uh, this was January. Mm-hmm. And there was just, there was one bloom, one jasmine bloom there. And Aww. it stayed there the, the cold month of January. It shouldn't have been blooming. There was no reason for it to be blooming and it stayed there. And when it finally, I let, I left it there until I, you know, I checked it every day and it finally fell off and it's, it's a dried bloom on top of his urn. Now I, I took it in and I told him, I said, this is. These signs like that we, that we talk about, I would have disregarded before TJ passed away. I, I didn't, wouldn't have bought into this stuff. And, you know, and mm-hmm. I told you my mm-hmm. friend, Addie, who listens to your show, told me about your podcast right after TJ passed away. And the reason she wanted, she told me about it is because she had heard your husband on his podcast mm-hmm. and how open he was after Andy passed away about it. And because I was considering doing one um, on ours about TJ. And she goes, I thought it'd be good for you to listen, but just so you're, just because you're considering it. And then she sent me the episode you did with, I can't remember the, the the guy's name, but he was talking about owls and stuff. And yeah, I, like, I told her, and I the said, dragonfly. Yeah, it was Kev- and Kevin's flies. dad, Tom. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. mom, I, I told, I told Addie, I said, mom had a, an owl visitor on Christmas Day. Yeah, you know, and then the yellow butterfly photo, all this stuff happening. And my son Andy's best friend had an owl come visit him. <laughs> Two days in a row. And the first day he thought it was coincidence. And the second day he was like, hi, Andy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Can mm-hmm. I mention something about the whole grief thing that you were, you yeah. asked? I think one thing that, that, and it's still fairly fresh, I guess, you know, what it was happened in August and it's the end of February now, but I felt like I was going crazy for the longest time because at work, I have, I have my press, so I'm by myself quite a bit. But I may look like I'm talking to myself, but I'm talking to TJ because I'm either apologizing to him for acting a certain way or whatever. But I don't know if people are seeing me talk to myself. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I would just I would just start crying at work. You know, and there was mm-hmm. times I had to take a couple of days off because I I would just I got to a point. We call it a gut punch. Yeah. It's a sucker punch. You don't you don't see it coming. You'd be doing fine and then all of a sudden you can't it's like the breath is gone. It happened to me that just the other night last week on the way home from work, I was, I got a 30 minute drive now home and I was thinking about TJ and I literally lost my breath. Like it just, it freaked me out. And I, you know, you think, I don't know how long this lasts. I don't know. We may last for the forever. Now I'm starting to believe that it just lasts forever. It might get a little easier, but I don't know if anybody listening to this that hasn't been on your show, you're not crazy. Yeah. It just yep. sucks. It I had just a whole episode on that. You're not crazy. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> yeah. you do feel like you are. And I had recently a woman write to me that had said that, you know, her friend thought she had Alzheimer's or something. And, um, oh, no, it was Gwen talking about it, that her, a friend told, had told her, I think you have Alzheimer's. And Gwen's like, yeah, no, you don't have Alzheimer's. This is great. You are fine. And this is normal. One thing I've learned too is that we don't all grieve the same either. No. There for the longest time, I thought I was grieving wrong. Like I was doing something wrong in my grief. Like I didn't know if I was doing it right. Because, you know, I've lost folks in my life before. You know, granddaddy mm-hmm. passed away right after I moved to Tennessee. And he and I were really close and that hurt me terribly. But man, this losing a sibling is something that's so 
it's just so I don't know. It's hard to describe. I just grieve different than everybody else. I don't know. It's just it is what well, it is. You are right. Everyone grieves completely differently, and I do think sibling grief. So, so there's just such a difference. When you you lose your child, it's really hard because you definitely expected them to outlive you, for sure, right? You expected them to live on past you. When you lose your parents, I, you know, I lost my mom when I was 21 years old. She was 42, so she was young. But to a certain extent, I did know that she would die before me. It was still the right order, but it just was a lot sooner than I wanted it to be. Your siblings, you expect that the whole time you live, they will be there with you. Someone that you marry comes into your life. Your sibling has been there the whole way, and you tend to think they will be there the whole time. So I think there is something really special about that relationship when you lose your brother or sister. It's just really, really hard because you they were supposed to be there the whole time. The, you know, TJ is supposed to be there to help you take care of mom when she can't take care of herself as much anymore. And now that's not going to be. All of those things that you expected to be able to do with him forever are now suddenly gone. So it's a special relationship and a special kind of loss. I saw something and I don't, I'm probably going to miss... I'm probably going to murder this, but it's when you lose a, a parent, you've lost, you know, you've lost your past. When you lose your parent, you lost your past. When, you, you when you've lost your sibling, you've lost your future. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly or not, but you, you've lost, like you were just saying, you expect him there. And I don't, I guess sibling grief is different. I don't, I don't have any children, so I couldn't even imagine. I had, if I had, mm-hmm. a, I had a couple of cats and if one of them passed away, I'm going to be a wreck. So I can't imagine what it'd be like to have a human child. But if I, Listen, I, there's a couple sibling grief groups on Facebook that I've that I've joined that have they've been really helpful. Because when I first got in, I was really quiet and wouldn't say anything, but I would read their stuff, and they're saying everything that I've been thinking but, and what I'm going yeah. through. So it's been really helpful to an extent. Mm-hmm. But then it gets kind of depressing too, and I have to step away because it's it just doesn't go away. Yeah. And I think we were talking about earlier. I I hope I'm not upsetting people if I talk about TJ on social media or not. And to an extent, I don't care if I'm upsetting people because sometimes That's I just right. need to I just need to say things. I just need to get it out because it's easier for me to do that than to go to work and try to explain to my coworkers. You know, everybody was really cool at, at work when I first got back and stuff, and it's mm-hmm. kind of gone away. And I don't know if it's just I'm I don't know if they just don't want to talk to me about it or not. They'll still come up and ask me if I'm okay, but it's usually after I've posted something on Facebook and they, they need to check, make sure I'm not losing my mind at work again. Well, I had a friend who lost her son to opioid overdose about three and a half years ago. And I remembered her in the early days and how much I wanted to just hold her because she was putting so much stuff out there, Mm -hmm. so much and about nobody can understand this and nobody can, you know, and I catch myself trying not to be like my cousin, you know, I wanted to... (laughs) reach through the computer and, and throttle her whenever she mm-hmm. you know, pretty much told me how she she knew how it was feeling. You can't know. This is yeah. something that will never. Yeah, you had mentioned that story, I think, before we started recording about your cousin kind of telling you how you should grieve and telling you what grief should be like. And 
Mm-hmm. You just can't do that. There is no shoulds. Everything, everyone is unique in their own grief journey. Yeah. And and to be telling people how they're supposed to be acting, oof, not good. Yeah, well, she's not one of my favorite cousins anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> she's always well, let's hope she doesn't listen today because then it will be maybe even less of a favorite talk. <laughs> one of the things that you were asking about since TJ died and how I've been handling the grief, I've, I've had some real problems with anxiety myself. Yes. The things that have hit me have been, you know, I've had to learn so much and get used to so much because I used to be able to just, I've always just whatever needed to be taken care of. I jump in my truck and I could take care of it and no problem. But TJ lived in Fayetteville and we live 20 miles south of Fayetteville now. So going to Fayetteville had become an issue for me because every time I try to leave our little town and drive in, the panic would just overwhelm me and I turn around and go back home. But I finally had to, my doctor, I was up for my yearly blood work and all of that, those things. And I kept saying, okay, can we just do this over telemed because I don't want to come in there. She finally did that, but she said, you still got to come in and get your lab work. So I psyched myself up and I made myself get in the truck and go. And I had a list of places I needed to, to see and go to while I was there. I did it. I was able to go and get that done and get back home. And then I was exhausted <laughs> because it, it was a trip. It was hard to explain to anybody that hadn't dealt with this or this kind of anxiety. And I dealt with anxiety before, but nothing that completely hobbled me, you know. I totally understand. I completely agree. I felt like the fear was the most surprising thing to me. I felt like I expected to feel just extreme sadness and sorrow. You expect a certain amount of anger. I even was not surprised at feeling some guilt, but the fear really shocked me. And just the, and still now I can drive in the car fine most of the time, but if it gets to be too much of a distance, I just feel my anxiety level just go up, 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 especially if I'm going on that road, if I'm on the road that Andy died on. And I can see to you just going to Fayetteville, you just would associate that with TJ. And so that Fayetteville kind of equals TJ in a way. Mm -hmm. And that would really trigger that. So yeah, it did. And I'm, I haven't been back since that trip. It's only been a couple of weeks since I did that, but I now feel somewhat better. And I'm trying to plan a trip to Texas mm-hmm. to meet up with my, my siblings and some other kin folks in the middle of March. Yeah. You got to get past this or you're not good. You know, that's a long trip. And mm-hmm. I just figure I'm taking, well, you should be proud of yourself. You should I be was, proud of I yourself. Very proud. I put that on Facebook that, okay, this might not seem like a big deal to y'all, but mm-hmm huge for me to have been able to do this and I'm going to take some of his ashes with me to Texas and go to my mom and dad's Uh, grave site and because I know he's there with them in heaven now you know he's mm -hmm. me and my dad were pretty close so yeah I'm getting yeah that'll be beautiful 
and now that the snow is melting and I can get outside and I've got a memorial garden planned for him and I've just been waiting for winter to get over with I think is that's going to help me yeah certainly so before you go I really need you to tell one more story that you told before we started recording. And that is the story of TJ and his connection to Mars. So could you please tell the audience that story? Sure. He always was really, really, really intrigued with Mars and said, told me any number of times that he intended on living there one day that, he, you know, they're, they're working on it, mom, and they're, they'll make it to where we can live on Mars one day. And you know, we'd always say, just smile at him and <laughs> say, okay. Right. And like, uh, okay, TJ, yeah. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Have fun. I'm not going. <laughs> but he, I got to paying attention to the, the landing, the Mars rover that they just put on Mars last week. And they said that it took six and a half months for that rover to get to Mars from earth. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you know, as a mother, you, in this position you all of these dates are important Mm -hmm. and I was like he's been gone six and a half months and I thought TJ you got your wish I really and truly believe that you got your wish because we know that he passed between the 29th and 30th of July and I looked up the date for the launch of the rover and it was July 30th and Mm -hmm. that just cinched it for me it was like for sure why wouldn't God let him take that journey that he was intrigued with while he was here on earth and of course now then I'm just uh, laser focused on all of the happenings on Mars and in the rover that's well I just think it's awesome I love that I love the vision of TJ kind of hitching a ride to Mars and being able to see that so soon I think it's just awesome yes Hmm? it's it brought me a lot of peace and a lot of comfort I've had some head tilts from people whenever they they hear it but like I told you I don't really care if I know it in my heart and it brings me comfort to think of him being in peace out there in the universe where he wanted to be then why not yeah (laughs) you know yeah yeah, you told me you posted that to Facebook recently and you got so much nice response back yeah. from other moms. In one of my grief support groups for moms who've lost sons, I, I just yesterday posted that story about Mars and the the response was just so overwhelming. There were so many like, oh, I wish I had a sign like that. I wish I had a message like that. And you're so blessed mm-hmm. to, to know. And so many of them told me that that story really touched their heart. So TJ's helping people from Mars. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. He is. And I just think it's awesome. And it's awesome that God kind of put that all lined up the timing. Just right. The timing just was, right. like I said, I didn't um, even think about it until after they said it taken that six and a half months. I was like, and I thought, well, I wonder when they launched it. And, you know, mm-hmm. this he had been gone for like five or six days when I found him, but we do know that he passed between the 29th of July and the 30th of July. And they launched that thing on the 30th. And it's like, you fly mm-hmm. high, baby. I'm just, <laughs> so, 
<laughs> Perfect. Well, I'm so glad you got to share that. And I just want to thank both of you for being on the show today and, and sharing. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for your show. I, I got to tell you that even the, the, the main focus is, you know, on the loss of a child. A lot of what I hear on your show has helped me tremendously. And I know it's helping a lot of people out there too, but it's because I can understand some of the stuff that even grieving parents are talking about because it, I can relate to it, even though it was a sibling, you know, but you know what I mean? But I really appreciate what you're doing. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We're always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.